like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hi, I'm your host, James Simmons, founder of Ask the NP, where you can ask everything you're too scared to ask your MD. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always consult your healthcare provider to determine the appropriateness of the information for your own situation. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. Participating in this event with this clinician, either of us, does not create a physician-patient relationship. And welcome. Oh, it's so good to be here with you today. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. This is my first time hosting a live with Providence on Facebook, and I am so honored. And, you know, I think we, before everyone watching, I'm going to introduce to you Dr. Robin Henderson in a minute, but I think it is important to sort of level set um, in the setting of everything that's going on in the world right now. And, you know, the police killing of George Floyd and on top of COVID-19, and on top of everything that's just been going on. So Dr. Robin, I know it's just the two of you looking at us, but I know there are lots of people watching right now. I think I want everyone watching, all of us, just to sort of take a moment in our busy days, take a big deep breath in through the nose and out through the mouth. We're gonna do one more of those just so we can level set. In through the nose and out through the mouth. It's so important breathing. I think sometimes when we're talking about our mental health with the chaos of the world and the chaos of our own ind individual lives, we forget sometimes just to breathe. So before we go any further, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Dr. Robin Henderson, who you see on your screen now. Dr. Henderson serves as the Chief Executive of Behavioral Health for Providence, Oregon. She also serves as clinical liaison to the Wellbeing Trust, whose mission is to improve the mental, social and spiritual health of the nation. In this role, she provides clinical oversight for investments in programming, ensuring they are consistent with the mission and values of both organizations. Dr. Henderson, welcome. James, it is a pleasure to be with you here today and to be, uh, oh my gosh, talking about this really difficult topic that we have to talk, we can't be silent, we need to talk. And and you know, I think we, we need to talk is, is really the key there and so many individuals are uncomfortable talking right now um you know i think maybe you kind of give us a really great point to, to start from everyone is having uncomfortable conversations right now about race and yeah. and about our relationship with police and the, specifically the police's relationship with the african-american community and those conversations can be heavy 
and weighty on top of everything else that is going on in our lives. And they really can sort of impact our mental health. And so I just wanna sort of start off what from you, what are some of your biggest concerns that you're seeing right now um, with the protests, with everything going on and individuals' mental health? You know, when I think about the conversations that we're having as a society, that we're having as a country, that we're having um, in our communities and around our dinner tables, we're bringing up issues that people are scared, they're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and they're all colored by our own life experiences from the perspectives we come we come from, um, regardless of our, our cultural background, the color of our skin or anything else. All of us have a unique set of experiences that we struggle uh, mightily to figure out how to have a conversation. Um, and I'll give you some examples about how this impacts our mental health. Sure. For some people, they're they're scared that they're going to say the wrong thing. They're scared that they're going to get into a conversation and inadvertently create a microaggression, mm -hmm. or in, you know, unintentionally say something. So they see nothing at all, mm -hmm. and they become very anxious and very fearful, and that leads down one set of paths. For people of color who are, you know, for the black community. Uh, the fear, anxiety, but also there has to be some level of you're finally seeing me, you know, see me, mm -hmm. I'm human, I think was what Barack Obama said last night, see me, I'm human. Um, that moment in time, this moment and occasion uh, can be extraordinarily overwhelming. Sure. And for any of us who are dealing with um, anxiety, depression, or even just dealing with the grief and loss we've experienced throughout this pandemic. I mean, think about this moment in time. We're mm. coming out of a pandemic, walking into what probably will be the biggest civil rights um, movement of of my time. I mean, I was sure. a, I was a mere child in in 1968. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, you know, very very young. That's not something that's part of my experience that I remember. Sure. Uh, but I'm wondering. By the same token, for you, what has mm -hmm. this been like for you? You know, it's 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 been a lot. And for you know, those of you watching, I you know, I my my father is black, my mother is white. That legally makes me black, um, and I identify as a biracial man. Oftentimes, with my black experience, um, I also identify as queer. And there's a lot of intersection that goes along with with all of those things. And you know, it is really exciting that. So much of this conversation is being brought forward right now. And then you add on top of that as a nurse practitioner working in the hospital environment in the middle of a global pandemic, it's it's been pretty intense. And I, I have really tried to be very vulnerable and very open about my mental health through all of this. And it was sort of one conversation, Dr. Henderson, with, um, with COVID and working with sick patients and then also just, you know, what what we're all going through, right? Quarantine right. And, and can we go outside? Can we not? And my friends are saying this and other people are doing that. And then now you add in police brutality and the death of George Floyd and now the charges against the police. It, it's, it's a whole nother layer. And I have really had to find those individual things that I need to do to cope and, and I think that really where a lot of the value that we can maybe find in this conversation for the folks that are listening for the, the short time that we have, 
what some of those things are, and I'll just kind of tee it off a little bit. I, I have gone to having to make my bed every day. Isn't that the funniest thing? It is, it is that thing, I think, Robin, that I know I can control in a world that feels very out of control right now. And you can ask anyone who knows me, by the way, you can ask my husband, you can ask whomever, I, I don't make my bed. But for some reason, I just decided to, to be that person who makes my bed and it changes everything. I feel like it sort of level sets me for the day and then I can feel like I can keep up because at least that's the thing I can control. You know, you bring up a very interesting point. All of us have to find the things in our lives that we can control because everything right now is out of control, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of where you are, regardless of what town you live in, what level of protest you're in the middle of, everything in our world right now is out of control. Mm -hmm. And finding those things that ground you, which really is what this is about. And I so appreciated you taking us through a breathing exercise when we got started, because mm -hmm. I, I, I find that whole metaphor of breathing to ground in light of protests around someone who literally lost their breath uh, to be not only grounding emotionally, but grounding spiritually mm -hmm. and, and feeling in communion um, in, in my own way for me. I'm very conscious about making sure that I take time to breathe. And when I do, I reflect about what happened uh, to George Floyd. And I mm -hmm. reflect about um, my privilege and my ability to breathe uh, and think about that impact as well. But finding those things that you can control are so important. For me, mm -hmm. I started I started walking, right? I started I mm -hmm. used to being in an office, I could walk around, I could do all this other good stuff. Right. I live in a very hilly community and I found it difficult to walk up and down all of these hills. Uphill's great, downhill, not so much. Oh, so I really? drive to a place that's pretty flat and I'll figure out what phone calls I can take for an hour and I uh -huh. walk. Good and it's for you. the thing that I can do every day that I can control that even if I have to still be in the middle of something, I've got something that I'm doing for me. Yeah. I think the other thing that I found really grounding is the kitchen table. I have three teenagers in my house, uh, mm. two seniors and uh, a college freshman. So wow. Conversations are awesome, right? I'm sure they're great right now with everything going on. <laughs> wow. Well, my youngest who just graduated Tuesday night, just graduated from high school, uh, said to me last night. Congratulations, oh, mom. Congratulations. That is fantastic. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, but before they went to bed last night, uh, they're transgender. They identify with they, them pronouns. Uh -huh. And um, before they went to bed last night, they said, I want to go to a protest. I want to mm. be part of this. I want to add my voice. And as a young transgender individual to walk into a protest in a metropolitan area, mm. as a mom, I'm, I'm terrified. Of course, of course. But as a human being, and also as the mom, I'm really proud mm -hmm. because here's somebody who's going to take that risk to go in and support their community, their, their fellow individuals, and the Black people of Portland walking in there. And, you know, we're going to have a conversation about how do you be safe in a protest? Mm. How do you take care of yourself emotionally so that you can go in there and be part of this because I think it would be harmful not to let them go.
Absolutely. And the, the fact that you even started the conversation with, you know, acknowledging where you are with that, that this is my child and they want to go to this protest. And I, I'm of, of a dichotomy with this, right? Like my, as a mom, I'm scared. And as a mom, I'm also proud. But then also, I think sometimes even just having that conversation with individuals who are thinking, I want to do this. And right away, you start with protecting their mental health as a, as a foundation. And I think that's really important for individuals. You know, we, we, around the death of George Floyd has mobilized so many people on social media. Of course, we've all seen that, but it's mobile, quite literally mobilized people out into the streets that have never done this before. And if they have experienced violence, either at the hands of police or in their own lives, and then they go out into the streets and then see this violence, even if it's blocks away, even if it's with looters and rioters, which we know are categorically different than, than the protesters, yeah. that, that violence can be very triggering, can be very yes. traumatic, almost in a, in a PTSD sort of way. And so I, I just wonder for the individuals who are watching right now who may, you know, protests continue, They're, they seem to, a tide has turned, they seem to be much more peaceful right now. Uh, globally, but for those who are maybe going out to protest for the first time, what are those little key things that 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 they can take with them to sort of protect their mental health before they get to the protests and then process afterwards? You know, I think the very first most important thing is don't go alone. Hmm. Um, go with somebody, go with a group, but have a support system with you and talk about your plan before you go in because protest crowds of any kind can change very, very quickly. So mm -hmm. much like when you get on an airplane, know where your exits are. Mm. <laughs> two in the middle, two in the front, <laughs> two in the back. Right? And they may be behind you, right. <laughs> but have an exit plan, have an exit strategy, and talk about that with the people that you're going with. And what is your plan for in the event that you get separated? How are you going to stay connected? How are you going to ensure that? Also, have a conscious conversation about what if, what happens if this does become overwhelming? It's almost like you need a safe word that says, you know, I've had enough, it's time for us to go, um, and have an agreement that anybody in your group can say that. Anybody mm -hmm. at any point could say, you know what, I've had enough, this is triggered, um, I need to go now. And that mm -hmm. means everybody will go together. Mm -hmm. So it's really having that safety of people that you trust, who understand where you're at. But there's a lot of different ways to, to protest. You don't necessarily have to go to the big protest downtown. Right. Just down the street in my little suburb, there's a protest with five to 10 people who have some signs. It's a very safe place to be. It's a very supportive environment. And that protest is just as valid. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, you can protest on social media. You can choose what it is that you uh, post on social media. You can choose to support what you do. I saw a very interesting story this morning about the K-pop crowd, right? Who supports BTS, you know, the K-pop crowd? This was great. Awesome? This was great. Tell everybody watching great? this story if they don't know. This is oh great. So the K-pop crowd decided that the way they were going to help out with the protest was really going and counter protest. And they uh -huh. took over and just used their social media power to slam in at the white lives matter movement and take that over and flood it with positivity and k-pop and all the beauty that is positive flooding the zone with positivity is one of the best things we can do on social media it's one of the best things we can do for our mental health it's the strategy we use for bullies mm -hmm. heck isn't that just a bully 
It, it, it is so much. And I love, I love that you brought that up because it's, I thought it was tremendous, right? That, you know, everyone, you're a K-pop stan, right? For those of you watching, stan's that, that slang term for someone who just, you, no matter what they do, right? You just love them and you're behind them, right? Um, it's sort of how I feel about Janet Jackson. Like she can never do any wrong, right? Like I'm a Janet Jackson stan. There are K-pop stans out there who decided to take over because sort of collectively this white hashtag white lives matter. And every time you search that hashtag, it's just video clips of K-pop. It's, it's <laughs> fantastic. It is amazing. And, you know, we, a, a good friend of mine who is a, a writer for um, NBC news and has written an out magazine and a Newsweek and lots of different places. You know, I was up last night bouncing back and forth between Twitter and Instagram mm -hmm. and saw a tweet from him that said, I can't go to sleep. I can't stop bouncing back and forth between Twitter and Instagram because I feel like I don't want to miss a, a second of what's going on. Uh, but I'm also overwhelmed with what's going on, but I feel like I'm in this circle, right? Where I just can't, can't stop it going. And, and for those of us who not only are, are, are practitioners and in the clinic setting and in a, a hospital setting, but then also in the media, it is, it is a constant influx of information. And I found it tremendously difficult, even as someone who advocates so much about mental health and about sleep is my big key. Yep. I couldn't put my phone down. I, I, I literally had to put it down and get up and walk out of the bedroom, get a glass of water, calm down, look out in the neighborhood, see that my neighborhood was not on fire, be okay, come back inside. And I just, I just like put my phone in a drawer and hit it. And so, and this was just last night and I'm someone who is a big believer in keep electronics out of the bedroom and I couldn't do it. So for those watching, what, what are some things about how we can protest and do good on social media, but also prevent it from really impacting our mental health and taking us kind of down that rabbit hole? You know, it, it's so important to put your devices away and, and to take a break, to take a break from the constant news cycle, from the constant input of information because your brain needs time to process, right? Mm -hmm. And your brain can't process while it's still taking in an input. Your mm -hmm. brain needs time to rest, to sort things out and to process. That's part of what sleep does, but that's also what that break from social media does. What I do for me, I've got a do not disturb setting on my phone mm -hmm. and from 10 o'clock at night until seven o'clock in the morning, because it's before I go to bed and, and after I get up, 10 o'clock at night, seven o'clock in the morning, it's on do not disturb. A full eight it. hours. A full eight hours. Wow. And all the notifications, nothing comes through, nothing, you know, if somebody needs to reach me, it obviously has a favorite setting and you can sure. set it so if somebody really needs to reach you and things like that. Mm -hmm. But what I found with that is that the ping isn't there. The light coming on isn't there. The stimulation that happens when you know that, that you know, you're getting a notification, mm -hmm. that that's mm -hmm. not there. And that's been one of the most important things that I started doing to really make a conscious effort to say to myself, nope, I'm going to put it away. I'm going to put it down. I'm going to set it on do not disturb. That's that's amazing. And and I think sometimes we don't realize the impact that this constant stream of information and this constant stream of news bring at us all the time. What, what have you seen sort of in your practice, how this has in, impacted individuals' mental health. And particularly right now, if you have examples or, or just situations where right now this constant influx 
I mean, even seeing the video of George Floyd being killed over and over again is, it's, it's, you almost couldn't avoid it there for days on social media regardless. And you might just be trying to go see your grandkids, you know, and they're a school project or something, right? But then you're seeing this video and, and let alone for everyone else's who's engaged. So how, how have you seen that has really impacted people recently? I think it contributes to that sense of helplessness and that, that lack of, you know, what we talked about earlier when we talked about the need to feel what you could control. Um, the constant stream of information that we often see both on social media and in the 24-7 news cycle leads us to that feeling of helplessness and that we can't really have an impact in the world and that mm -hmm. we don't really have self-efficacy. And again, if you're dealing with um, an underlying, you know, mental health condition, depression, anxiety, PTSD, that sense of helplessness is really going to trigger you into, you know, becoming depressed, you know, being back in your, your PTSD, being back in that triggered environment where everything else starts to spiral out of control. And it becomes mm. really important to establish your self-care. Now mm. more than ever is a great time to, if you're not with a therapist, establish a relationship with a therapist. Mm. One of the best things that came out of, of COVID was the incredible overnight adoption of telehealth as a platform. And at Providence, we went from, you know, a year ago, March is my favorite stat. A year ago, March, we saw about 500 visits across our seven states. Uh -huh. 500 visits. That's everything. Psych, RAD, you know, diagnostics, 500 visits. You know how many visits we saw in the month of March of this year? Oh, my gosh. I really, I'm excited to hear this. 340,000. 340,000? Thousand. And so you're taking now. That's amazing. Isn't that incredible? We're seeing now 15 to 17,000 telehealth visits a day. And all of my wow. therapists, providers, all my psychiatrists, everybody, everybody's on tele, everybody's on these platforms. And uh -huh. what we're seeing is more people coming into therapy. They're showing up uh, and they're getting help and they're connecting yeah. with people. Now That's is the time. Tremendous. If you've been waiting to go to therapy, go now. It's right here. It's it it is. It it's as easy as watching this Facebook Live, right? Or it's easy as watching right. everyone's on IG Live these days or doing all of these things. And that I think there's something about the process of let's say if you're especially if you're clinically depressed. Right. Major depressive disorder. Just getting out of bed, we know, is sometimes one of the hardest things you can do. But yet we're asking you to get out of bed and put on clothes and brush your teeth and get in the car or public transportation and get to a therapist and then get inside and then sit down and then decompress from that. And then, oh, by the way, in 55 and a half minutes, do what needs to be done. And then, oh, by the way, you have to leave and then go back and face the world again. Whereas now I think it's it's you bring up this amazing point that it's right here. You can, where's my phone? I don't know where my phone is, but you can roll over and turn on your phone and get therapy. And I think if that's, if that, I, I don't even wanna say that there's, there's good. I, there's good that's come out of COVID-19. Yes, there is. Because of something like this, right? That individuals right. are finding out that, that, that really good quality healthcare, really good quality mental healthcare can be delivered in a telemedicine format and that people are adopting it. And sometimes we have to, sometimes we have to be forced a little bit in, into those things to, to make that change, um, which is really significant. Thank you very much for sharing that. I just wanted to, in the interest of time, I know um, 
we're getting close. I just wanted to remind folks watching right now, if you have questions um, for Dr. Henderson, uh, if you have statements, things that you need to get off of your chest, um, particularly about mental health right now, in the time of that intersection of COVID and in the protests and everything going on with the murder of George Floyd, please leave those comments um, on the side there. We will leave uh, a few minutes at the end to address those questions and comments. Also, you see scrolling across the bottom, which I think is always so incredibly important to remember. Yeah. This, if you are ever feeling helpless, if you are ever feeling hopeless, if you want, if you need to help someone, who is also help, feeling helpless or hopeless or maybe suicidal that they want to kill themselves and you don't know what to do, you can also call this number. But that number that's scrolling across the bottom of your screen there, for those who can see, it's 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255 um, if, you, if you need that information. Um, Dr. Robin, we just have a few minutes left, but I wanted to, I know there's some folks watching who um, I wanted to talk about our kiddos. You know, I had a really yeah. interesting conversation earlier about, you know, how do we educate educators to talk about race in the classroom in, a, in sort of a different way. But so many kids aren't in the classroom yet, or if they are, they're having this virtual conversation. But it really goes back to that family and who is caring for you at home, whatever your family looks like. Can you can you just give give the folks watching just a, a little bit? We're not going to solve the world's problems in four and a half minutes. but sort of your thoughts on how you begin to have this conversation about police brutality, uh, about the disproportionate impact on the black community and, and the death of George Floyd and these protests with your kids. You know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about kids, cause there's, there's several different levels of kids. There's, there's the littles, you know, zero to zero to five. There's the, the kind of like the mid mid in there that, that are in that five to 12. And then there's adolescents. 12 to 18 years old. And we need to think developmentally about how we talk about these things. But no children are born racists. Mm -hmm. That's just the bottom line. This is right. a learned behavior. And it's what happens in our homes, primarily, especially early on. So we need to be reflecting on how do we talk about these issues. And if you're not comfortable talking about it, we have a great tool out there for you. It's called a movie. There's right. lists all over social media right now. Just Mercy. Um, you remember the movie, The Green Book? What a great movie about mm -hmm. um, racial inequality that, that gives a platform for a conversation. And there's a variety right now of curated social media lists of movies that you can watch with your family that tee up a conversation, that mm -hmm. tee up the, the real conversation about what racial injustice, social injustice, all of this stuff really looks like and provides a platform for a conversation as a family to talk about what are we gonna do that's gonna be different going forward tomorrow. What is it that we're gonna do? And so I think really, instead of sitting here going, wow, this is too hard, I can't do this, do a movie night and watch a movie that matters. Watch a movie that tells a hard story and have a conversation about it as a family. You can do that with any age child because there's very appropriate movies regardless. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's a platform that's accessible for everyone. Yeah. And it's it's done, movies are done in a cadence that we're used to, right? Movies are done in a, in a way, there's, there's generally with most movies, a, a beginning, a middle, some conflict and drama, and then an end, whether that's a nice tidy end or not. 
but that can also sort of structure your conversation as well. Let's talk about these different parts of the movie. When this right. part happened, how did you feel? You know, did, did you understand that this was happening to this individual primarily because of their race, things like that. So I love that you're using movies as the catalyst. I also just wanted to offer up as well as we sort of transition into adults, you know, that there's there are really difficult conversations that need to happen right now, particularly with with white people understanding what privilege means and how that works into this whole conversation. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Robin D'Angelo, um, who's at the University of Washington in Seattle, and she wrote the book White Fragility, um, How to Talk to White People About Racism. And it's a fantastic resource. And so for those watching, if you have questions about wow. you know, so how, sort of how to kick this conversation off, um, because it's an important conversation for, for all of us to have, um, you know, I, I really, I really think that's a, a fantastic resource for that. Um, so Dr. Robin, we are in our last minutes here. It goes so fast. I know. <laughs> I can't, I can't believe it. Again. I know we absolutely need to do this again. I just wanted to, we got, we have a couple extra minutes. I think the powers that be are allowing us just a couple of extra minutes to sort of explore. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a really interesting question about, about, you know, where do we go from here? Right. Um, and, and always under, under kind of the umbrella of mental health in particular, but this, this sort of question about there's there's a global pandemic still going on, by the way, that we still sort of need on. to address. It's still going on. That. Right. And and I think we're unfortunately going to see some ramifications from that down the road. But you know, there's always this explosion of protest and this movement and motivation, and it really impacts all of us in a particular way. And then it always calms down, and then we sort of go back to whatever normal means. And so where do we go from there? Where do we go from there as a community in your thoughts? Where do we go from there in terms of caring for our mental health after all of this and in our relationships with people around us that might be different and might be strained a little bit because we've had to have really uncomfortable conversations about race? You know, I think the first thing we have to do is devolve ourselves of the, of the notion that we're going to go back to anything that existed before. Hmm. Part of what some people call the new normal is is really the opportunity to make a decision and I'll, and I'll go back to that example of tele we will never go back to a world that doesn't have telehealth that doesn't have the broad telehealth adoption because we know that now works we will never go back to office buildings with cubicles so close to each other that we can pass a virus around in a second mm -hmm. we will never go back to that world that means each of us needs to in our own way commit to what am I going to do differently personally? What am I going to do differently in my family unit? And how am I going to show up differently within my community? What are the things that I'm going to commit to? So for my mental health, I'm going to commit to my own self-care routines, making my bed every morning, um, maybe going on my walk, whatever it is that I'm going to do. But making those commitments and making them stick. We need to help understand and we need to help our children understand that this is the catalyst for change. 2020 is the year of change. Embrace that. Go out, become active. Vote is the most yes. important thing we can do this year. Vote. Please. City, county, state, local, get educated, get empowered. Because the thing that this has taught us is that life doesn't happen to you. 
you mm. can affect life through the actions that you create and you take and you lead and you be. And that's the biggest thing that's going to strengthen your mental and emotional well-being. Ah, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sentiment for us to end on, um, Dr. Robin Henderson. Thank you so very much. I, I, we can create that. We can create that and we can vote. Thank you so much yes, for bringing that up as well. Oh my gosh, please. So Dr. Henderson, thank you, of course, for joining us today and everyone listening and watching. I know we went a little bit over time, but thank you for being here as well. Um, and listen, if you are looking for help with your mental health or other medical advice, please visit providence.org. You can also follow Dr. Henderson on Instagram at docrobhenderson. Uh, or me, I'm at ask the NP, NP like nurse practitioner. Uh, also, please be sure, since you're here on social media, please be sure to follow uh, Providence on social media. It's Providence on Twitter and Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. To learn more about the mission, programs, and services, visit future.psjhealth.org. We thank all of you so much, Dr. Robin. Uh, an uh, absolute pleasure having you my my first Facebook Live hosting with you. I've been spoiled. Thank you so much. Oh, Dr. James, you are awesome. And hey, congratulations. I understand her in order. Thank you very uh, much. I, I yeah. appreciate it. I know this is day four, I think. I'm not used day to it four, yet. Day four, Dr. James. <laughs> Own it, exactly. It. You're remarkable. It has been my absolute pleasure. I'll do this with you anytime. Thank you. Amen. I feel the same way. Thank you so much, Dr. Anderson. And everyone watching, thank you so much. Take care.